Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Premed Year, session number 326. Hello, and welcome to The Premed Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. A welcome to The Premed Years. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast today. Hopefully, you listening to this podcast will help you like it has helped our guest. Now, our guest today is Amanda. She is a first-year medical student at Rush Medical College, and we're going to talk all about her journey to medical school, including a failed first application, a not-so-good first MCAT exam, and so much more. So hopefully you'll enjoy this conversation and take away a lot of great advice. Amanda, thanks for joining me on the Pre-Med Years. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. You are in the heat of medical school. How's that going for you? It's good. It's better than I thought. Um, I think anticipating knowing how much it was going to be helped a lot, but it has been going very smoothly. We just started uh, GI and we had respiratory just for three weeks and start of a new block is always hard, but it's amazing learning so many new things and really just focusing on medicine instead of having to do busy work and all of that. <laughs> I want you to check all of these boxes so you can get in. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to do any of those boxes, <laughs> although you have to think about residency. Yeah, it's still it's there. It's still different. there a little bit. So I want to know, everybody says going to medical school, learning in medical school is like drinking from a fire hose. When was the first time you were in school and you're like, ah, now I get it? I think that we had an intro block and that was okay. And then we started micro and immuno and we just learned about like 10 different organisms. I had never taken microbiology and I was just like, how am I supposed to know this? Like what? There's a quiz on this tomorrow. I have like two days to learn all this. And I was like, yeah, they weren't kidding. It's drinking from a fire hose. Yeah, exactly. It's so much. So let's go back to, let's rewind back to your pre-med days, maybe give you a little PTSD. When did you first realize that, that you needed to be a physician? 
I didn't have a single moment. I think being a first generation college student, I was really just focused on getting into a school. And once I got there, I was just trying to adjust because everything felt so new. I didn't really have my parents to lean back on to ask questions. So I did a lot of research on my own. And I think I started to think about it because I know I get to give the cheesy answer now because I already applied to medical school and kind of <laughs> shaped my answer. But it was really this interest of science and just kind of like thinking about different careers where I would interact with people one on one. And I did kind of want a career that felt, you know, like I always was like a teacher, a lawyer and all that. And for me, a doctor just seemed like something that I could succeed at. I really liked working one on one with people. I really liked like learning about the body. I know it's all the cheesy stuff everyone kind of answers, but mm-hmm. a lot what really ha- helped was when I went to go shadow for the first time. It was actually in the OR. Yeah. And I don't want to be a surgeon, but when I was there just seeing the atmosphere and everything, I was just like, yeah, I can do this or I want to do this, I should say. Cuz later on there was definitely moments where I questioned if I could do that and if I would make it. Yeah. When you you mentioned that you didn't have your parents to lean on. Now, at least I, th- I think your mom is alive. Is is your dad alive as well? Yes, they okay. they are both they are both alive. Okay. I said they were there for emotional support. They okay. weren't there for I guess academic support. For the knowledge of what it's like to to go to yeah. college and how to study and be a successful college student. You're a first generation college student, which a lot of people are. I was a first generation college student. And what do you think helped you as you were starting off being a college student, really learning all of this stuff on your own because you were a first generation college student? What helped you there? I think it was a combination of things. I think putting myself out there, trying to learn from those around me, joining clubs, reaching out to those that lived on my dorm room floor, Up to getting into school, I relied on my high school counselor, so I even felt comfortable to reaching out to her to see any advice. And honestly, the internet helped a lot, which eventually led me to this podcast. But that was later on in my like college career. But I think just educating myself as much as I could to prepare myself and learning from each mistake and instead of dwelling on it, just seeing where I could move on from there. Let's talk about those mistakes. What do you think was the biggest mistake you made as an undergrad student? I think it was just the, like, just getting so bogged down into my grades and into my classes that I didn't see the bigger picture as much, especially in my pre-med journey. I think, like, figuring out when I had to take the MCAT and figuring out the timeline, I was late to it. So that's why I actually ended up applying once just to two schools because I just realized it wasn't working. And it wasn't necessarily a mistake because it ended up working out for me. And I ended up going to one of the top schools I wanted to go to. But I think just not seeing the bigger picture instead of just focusing in on that quiz I had on Friday and all of that instead of seeing what I needed to do on the timeline to reach my goal. How did you, as you were going through the process as a pre-med student, how were you staying informed with all of these things? We, we we were talking about checkboxes earlier, all these checkboxes that you needed to to do, the volunteering and shadowing and clinical experience and research and whatever else that you were doing. How did you stay in tune with all of that since you're saying you were bogged down in, in the classwork? 
So what really woke me up was we had, so I ended up being in the honors program initially when I started undergrad and I went to a liberal arts school and there was a science-based one and there was like a non-science-based one. It was more English history type. And I had an English advisor. So I felt that freshman year, we just talked and focused on our classes. But the next year when I finally officially became pre-med and biochemistry, I went to a pre-med meeting or advisory meeting and they were telling me all these things. And I, that was when I finally was like, oh, this isn't just about my minuscule classes. I have so much more on the horizon. I have to be shadowing. I have to try to find research and all of that. That's when I went to the internet and that's when I discovered this podcast and I started listening to it and being like, oh, I have a lot more to do and to catch up on. <laughs> do you think going to a liberal arts college hurt you or helped you? Oh, it definitely helped me. It, there was a, some hurt in terms of maybe how big the research facilities were, um, what opportunities um, in the science realm there was. But there was so much discussion about things outside of science and the classes we got to take. I took, I did a minor in Spanish and my senior year I took medieval Spanish poetry slash literature class and there was nine of us and we got to sit in the circle and you really get to have these small engaging conversations instead of a big lecture hall, which also benefited me in my science classes because my biggest class was organic chemistry and it was like 38 people. So you really got that one-on-one -on -one time with professors. We didn't have any TAs teaching us. I met incredible people, which I could have met at a private school or a public school as well, but it just felt like a very tight knit family. I never felt homesick and just a lot of support. One of the toughest challenges that students have, it seems like when it comes to doing things to get into medical school and showing that they love medicine, one of those things is shadowing and, and finding physicians to shadow. Now you mentioned it was shadowing that finally was like, yes, this is this is what I really want to do. How did you go about finding a physician to shadow? I actually see this question on the page a lot, and I really relate to it because I don't have anyone in medicine in my family. So I was struggling very hard to get there, but I reached out to people in my life. Some My college roommate, um, actually, or she was in my sorority and eventually was my roommate, one of my roommates. She had a neighbor that was an internist. And I got to connect with him. And then from there, he was part of a medical group. And he was able to give uh, my name to different specialties. So an ENT, a neurologist, um, a surgeon, and all of that kind of spread out and opened the door for all of these plethora of different opportunities. And also, I didn't have a car um, until my senior year of college. So I had to be really strategic. And I had to do it on my breaks. And I felt like I was very limited. But it ended up working out and, you know, it's part of your story. It might seem like, why me? Why, why can't I like get these amazing opportunities? But just because you have to work a little harder ends up making you a better person, in my opinion. But yeah. you could still be an amazing person and have things kind of work out for you too easily. But in the moment, there's always something that seems difficult, no matter what it is. Do you think just trying to find that silver lining, do you think reaching out and asking for help and all trying to get all of that shadowing, do you think that has helped you learn how to better utilize the resources around you? Yes, definitely. My little small med group friend that I have now, they always call me the resource queen because <laughs> I am just looking online for things. I 
find outside resources or on, online from even my class. They're like, where did you get this from? And like, they just benefit from it as well. And I feel that that was something I learned just from having to research about undergrad, about med school. Like I will scour the internet to find the thing that seems the best for me. And sometimes, I mean, it doesn't always work out that all the resources aren't accurate and, you know, fake news, but <laughs> SDN, up, just say know, SDN. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we got to yeah, be I nice to SDN dabbled. now. I did dabble there. It was <laughs> scary, <laughs> but it definitely, and it makes me more brave or braver to reach out to people. And right now I'm already like reaching out to physicians of like, I'm interested in psychiatry and I want to try to shadow a psychiatrist and I'll just reach out. And once you get into medical school though, it is much easier to get your foot in the door in any about anything. Yeah, definitely. What do you think is the, the biggest thing that, that you learned as an undergrad that made you successful as an applicant? I would say do things because you want to do them. Don't do them because you feel that you need to do them. Because I struggled with that in high school. I did sports. I didn't really even like the sports. I, I did get benefit from them. But in college, I started like feeling like in the pre-med journey, it's hard because you're like, I need to do research. I need to do this. I need to do that. And when I graduated, I felt like, oh, do I want to do a post Do I need to do X, Y, and Z? And I ended up being a behavioral therapist with kids with autism. And it was one of my favorite experiences. And I talked about that in every single interview. And it taught me so much. And it wasn't directly related to medicine. Yes, it kind of had to check a box of, yeah, I was clinical, but it was something I personally wanted to do and experience. How did you prepare for the MCAT, this beast of an MCAT that typically holds people back and in the application world, what was your study schedule like and, and resources that you used? So I actually took it twice. And they did bring this up in a few of my interviews because I went, I had an eight point jump between my first one and second one. Nice. So my first one, I was doing research at a nearby hospital in Chicago. And I was also trying to study for the MCAT with no defined schedule. I was just like, just get through this chapter by this week and this one. And I didn't have time to take, um, I was the first year of the new MCAT, mm-hmm. um, the, with the psych and the social and the longer one. So I, that was a process to learn all about that. So I was trying to study on my own and I ended up taking it just as I had applied as well. This is kind of a confusing story. So I did the thing where I sent my application, my primary before I would know my score, mm-hmm. but they, we're allowing us to receive our score within like two weeks as an estimate instead of four weeks because it was like the new test period and they have no like background data on it. Hmm. And it wasn't what I wanted. And I also realized I didn't take enough practice tests. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. I definitely saw where I could improve. And I ended up only in applying to like two schools that cycle just because I felt my MCAT wasn't as good as where it could be. And I knew I could do better. And it would definitely have stopped me from the schools I had wa- would have wanted to went to. Mm-hmm. So then I just decided that I needed more experience in everywhere, like clinical and whatnot. And I thought it'd be better to take a gap year. And so right let me, after I got, let me, let me yeah. stop you for Sorry. a second. For the, for the MCAT specifically, yeah. you mentioned that you're, you were doing research and, getting busy and kind of studying here and there with no defined schedule. 
Was that because you didn't understand the importance of having that schedule and studying as much? And you're like, oh, I'm, I'm a good college student. I'll do well on this test. Or was it just because you just just ran out of time and you, you needed to take it? I think it was a combination. I think I tried to study right the last spring semester and finals. I was taking really tough classes and I didn't get to study as much as I could. And then later when I was studying, I, I didn't realize how like diligent and how much more planning it would it did take to do well, if that makes sense. I kind of underestimated what I needed to do to succeed at the level that I wanted to. And I was ill-informed, which is my fault, but I guess I didn't realize what I needed to put in to get what I wanted to get out of it. So you, in this first application cycle, you only applied to two schools and that was based on the score that you received. That's why you only selected two schools. I kind of just, I had already sent about like, I think six primaries out. So I ended up only like going full out on two of them and just based on the score and kind of what I was feeling, um, I just was like, it was my state school and just another private school. And it was only um, MD schools, which I also was like, I didn't have anything against applying to DO schools. I just was so ill-informed. I, I had only shadowed MD doctors. I didn't look into DO. I didn't know anything. So I didn't feel comfortable applying in that process either. And I also figured out a little too late in the timeline to prep everything as well. Yeah. So you you completed two secondary applications that cycle. Did you get any interviews, any bites? No, I did get to call back and get good feedback on one of the schools and I ended up getting accepted my next cycle. I didn't go there, but yes. I did get to give the feedback. Man, you're jumping right ahead to the next cycle already. We, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about the feedback. So you, how did you get feedback? Because a lot of students don't understand that they can get feedback from some schools. How did you go around, go about doing that? I don't remember entirely, but I think I emailed someone in the app uh, in the admissions office and asked if I could get feedback and I got a call scheduled with one of the I think it was a doctor who reads applications and mm. kind of decides who gets in and whatnot and what school was that it was Creighton in Omaha oh, yeah and what feedback did they give you he gave me feedback on my MCAT he said also just more clinical experience which I knew I lacked it did kind of hurt because I did do pretty well with my GPA in undergrad, but I got a solid B in physical chemistry, which is one of the <laughs> hardest classes in my undergrad. Like the, the smartest girl who had A's and A pluses in all grades only got a B plus. So I was proud of that B, but obviously you can't really <laughs> express that to someone <laughs> because of that. And that kind of hurt that he brought that up, but I don't think it stopped me anywhere else. But That's kind of nitpicky. Yeah, I don't think that was really what stopped me initially. I think it was a combination of things. Mm -hmm. You mentioned a lack of clinical experience. What sort of clinical experience did you apply with? How many hours and what kind was it? It was very minimal. I can't remember the exact hours. I know I had the shadowing. I had, uh, I think I had about 75 hours and I had volunteered for hospice care for about 25. And then I volunteered in the ER for about 40. It was very low. I know that compared to what I gained in my gap year. What did you do in your gap year to get more experience? So I became the therapist with kids with autism. I know it's not 
entirely medicine, but that therapy working one-on-one. Um, I also became a scribe, mm-hmm. which helped a lot. And I also continued to shadow. Awesome. Let's rewind a little bit. You apply, you have these two secondaries out, you get rejected from both. When you found out that you weren't going to get in that cycle, what was going through your mind and and how did you try to figure out the next steps for you? I kind of knew that I know I shouldn't have a negative attitude, but I kind of had a feeling that I wasn't going to get in and I was already being proactive. Not that students should do this. I think where I was, it fit my plan that I was already kind of planning what I needed to do for the next application cycle. So I planned on enjoying my senior year and making the best out of it. And, you know, still did well in school and continued on volunteering that entire time as if I wasn't going to get in. And then I studied for the MCAT that following summer and spent the whole summer studying. And unfortunately for me, a class was not going to work out just financially. I'm not saying that they're not worth it. And, you know, some people might be able to work that out and find that it is worth it because it is a test that heavily influences. An MCAT class you're talking about, like a course? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, um, I used a Kaplan book and I found an exam crackers, I believe online, I bought access to and they someone made a schedule that kind of fit the exam crackers in and I kind of supplemented it with Kaplan and its practice mm-hmm. tests. And then I just made a strict schedule, I gave myself certain days off and what test days and I stuck with it. And that is what I needed to succeed. Were you and working or going to school or anything at that point in time? Or? I was applying to jobs then. That's when I was going through the onboarding process to become a therapist. So kind of was working and also babysitting here and there just to keep some cash flow in. But it was a very MCAT study focused summer. Now, you you mentioned in the Facebook post when you were talking about this that you qualified for FAP. Did you use FAP for all of your MCAT resources as well? I didn't. I wish I knew that. I didn't think I was going to qualify the first time I looked at it, actually, because of I thought it was going to combine my income with my family's income and that that wouldn't be the percent poverty level. So I kind of just brushed it off and I made do being able to afford it. But then relooking at it, when you see all the fines that go with medical school applications, I relooked at it and realized that I probably would actually qualify. And then I applied and then it helped me for applications rather than the MCAT because that was kind of in the past. Okay. And FAP, if you're listening and don't know, that's the fee assistance program that the AAMC has, as well as the AOA for both the MD application and DO application. Let's talk about that application for a minute. So you you looked at it, and you're like, I'm not going to get it, so I'm not going to apply. And then you, you looked again and said, oh, I'll apply and see what happens. What was that process of applying for FAP? What was that like? It wasn't too bad. I Luckily, I know some people struggle not having um, contact with their parents, but I was living at home, so I was easily able to access all the documents that I needed to and upload everything. It was kind of a document mess. I mean, not a mess, but you felt that you had it. You do have to get a, a different paperwork. I don't exactly remember what. I just know it's like proof of income from yourself and from your parents. And you also have to fill out like your expenses. Like if you are living at home, like how much are you saving by doing that? Like you kind of had to include that. And it is, it is up to you. No one like called me to verify. Not that I lied, but I mean, I, I don't, I couldn't exactly put an exact number on everything. So I rounded it 
out, but I just submitted it and they got back very quickly. And it was amazing how much it helped me save a lot. But I also continued kind of doing my own fee assistance program and trying to save money any way I could during the interview season as well. What um and and the fee assistance program? If you're listening, they did they just changed their thing to have instead of 16 schools, it's up to 20 now that you can apply to as part of it, which is nice. Let's talk about the second time you go around. You sounds like you applied the very next cycle, or did you wait a cycle in between? I waited a cycle. Okay, in between, which is very smart for the majority of people out there. So you waited a cycle, you took the MCAT, you're getting more experience, you're more confident going into the application cycle. What was it like for you picking schools and figuring out where you wanted to end up? It was a process. The MSAR, M-S-A-R, mm-hmm. uh, Medical Student mm-hmm. Admission Requirements, is that what it stands for? Yep. That helped a lot. I just kind of looked, I wanted to stay, I'm from right outside of Chicago, And I go to school in Chicago. So I wanted to stay somewhere in the Midwest and I wanted to be able to ideally drive to schools. So I was looking at the Midwest region, especially, but I also looked at, I applied to both MD and DO schools. So I looked at schools I could get cheaper flights to and places where I would enjoy living at. And I kind of took as a scribe, sometimes there's downtime. So during those overnight shifts where maybe we're a little slow, I looked at schools and I would list out what I like about them, what their GPA averages, what their MCAT averages, and just kind of list them all over because with the fee assistance program only covering 16 schools, I kind of wanted, I applied to 22 MD and seven DO schools. So within that, I was trying, and I didn't get the AOA assistance program for DO schools. So I was trying to be strategic in how many schools I was applying to as well and the chances I felt that I could get into schools because like state schools, you really, like I did apply to I think two neighboring states that I had somewhat maybe a connection with, but Mm. I got denied very quickly. (laughs) Like what's your connection to our state? Uh, (laughs) I-10? Yeah, it was not like really that advice when they say don't apply to those schools is true because (laughs) I got the quick, like not even got a secondary from them but so but i only did those two and then the rest were private schools yeah okay and the second application cycle you did apply to do schools what was the thought process behind applying to do schools the second time while i was scribing i worked with many do doctors and i got to talk about them and their experience and what schools they went to and some of my favorite doctors i worked with went to do schools and I thought that like I would be happy to go to either just a medical school in general. So finally, when I understood that there was barely a difference and I did like that, you know, the idea of learning OMT, although I'm not going to MD school, we don't learn that. But I think the idea of it is something I was along with and would have enjoyed learning. So I felt comfortable applying to both schools. Now, you are in medical school now, so obviously you got at least one ex- interview invite. What was the interview process like for you? It was exciting and scary. And um, I actually got my first interview invite on my birthday in mid-July. It was super exciting. It was the best birthday present ever. But it was a lot of logistics and a lot of, you know, I really was glad that I was in a gap year because you have to take a lot of time off and figure out travel plans and 
all of that. And that would have been very hard to do if I was in school. I could not imagine balancing my schoolwork while going on all those interviews, which people do. And I give them major props. I tried really hard to save money where I could. So actually, I never stayed in a hotel. I always would stay with someone I knew or a connection in the town and I would drive myself and I just brought snacks along and just kept a good attitude and listened to these podcasts and specialty stories to keep myself motivated. That's awesome. How did you, how did you do that? Like finding a couch to sleep on? If you didn't know somebody in town, did you just reach out to a friend who had a friend? How did that work? Yeah, I, I actually, most of my interviews were in the Chicagoland area. So sometimes I went on an interview and the same day I would go do my therapy session and go to work after. So that was nice. But the couple of places when I had to go around, I had a friend that lived in Iowa City. And then I, my significant other, my boyfriend had a friend, a couple of friends in the other places too that he put me in contact with and I got to stay on their couch as well. Nice. Now, the, the application process is super expensive. I have a calculator on my website now for an application cost estimator. It doesn't include couch surfing, so that's a, a good extra savings there, which is awesome. How many acceptances did you end up with? So I ended up with five interviews for MD schools and four acceptances. And then the 70O schools I applied to, I had all seven interview invites and I went on three interviews and got accepted to those three schools. Wow. And then, yeah, it was a very good cycle. I was not, I had no idea where I was going to be, but it worked out well. Let's talk about that. Why do you think you were so successful with four out of five acceptances for the MD schools and and three out of three for the DO schools? Why do you think you were so successful with your interviews? I think my gap years made me a very well-rounded applicant. I was lucky to have done well in undergrad with my grades. Um, My MCAT wasn't amazing. Um, It was median range. So I think what really made me stand out was my experiences and just truly being a person during the interview. Um, I had some intimidating interviews and I just took it as a conversation and just acted like myself. And I think, I guess that was good enough. And I also used your book. I shouldn't, I shouldn't forget to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Um, Yes, I did. And I ran some mock interviews with my boyfriend as well. That helped. Good. Good. What was your MCAT score? It was a 508. Okay. So not fantastic, but really good. Yeah, I, it was in the 79th percentile, my range. Yeah. Uh, I haven't kept up to date if like, if you get a 508, if that's like, what percentile that is, but it's good. for my year, it yeah. was the 79th. But the yeah. first time was a 500. Yeah. So, so we, big, we, big yeah. jump. And you mentioned yeah. that you had a pretty strong GPA as well. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. What do you think was the hardest question that was asked of you? I think I had, um, it was a gentleman. He told me I had four topics to talk about. He was very stern and he was like, it was circumcision, antibiotics, the opioid epidemic. And I can't remember the fourth one. He's like, you have to pick one and talk about it. If I can tell that you're faking it, I'm going to stop you and you're going to start all over again. (laughs) And I... Don't do well with that. I'm more of a kind, <laughs> gentle myself. person. <laughs> I thought, yeah, actually, for the school I go to, Rush, uh, it was, that wasn't the interview question, but I did not feel that I vibed well with my interviewer compared to, I had already gone 
I think Rush was one of the last schools I went on the interview on. And I kind of was able to compare to my previous interviews. And I felt that it did not go well. I didn't vibe well with the interviewer. And I was really like, all I could think about was how I was not going to get in. I was not going to get in. And I passed a train track. And I said, if no train stops me, I'm going to get in. And I got in, which obviously wasn't the (laughs) train that did that. But so whenever someone you feel that things didn't go well, you never know. Sometimes they're honestly doing that to you on purpose. And they're kind of trying to test your limits. And probably also how that one gentleman kind of made it really made me very afraid of him. But I kept my grit and answered his questions. Yeah, good job. So you had seven, uh, eight acceptances total. No, seven acceptances total. How did you choose which school to end up at? I ended up deciding between Rush and my state school and that I had a pros and cons list, but then I ended up getting a partial scholarship for Rush. Mm. So that was kind of, money unfortunately, talks. unfortunately in Illinois, our state school is not low. It is almost, I believe it's about as expensive as private schools. It's about 50 in the fifties. Wow. So it it wasn't something that was, I definitely was trying to save money where I could, as we've learned from my fee assistance and my couch surfing. Yeah. So the scholarship definitely brought it down and made it even easier. I kind of always wanted to go to Rushmore, just how I felt comfortable the interview day, the people I knew who went there, um, just their sense of community. And they are one of the schools that requires a high ear volunteer experience hours. Mm. And you could just tell how much they truly are there to help the community. And it wasn't just, they didn't brag about their match placement. They didn't talk about all the research they do in the publications and all that. It was actually a more of a focus on how much they are involved in the community of Chicago and especially on the South side of Chicago and all that they do. And that really spoke to me because I grew up outside of Chicago in a very diverse neighborhood. And I really wanted to, I really liked that aspect of focusing on diversity and helping the community around you. Let's talk about the financial aid for a second. Wait, I don't think I've talked about it much on here. What was that process like? Did did they just contact you and say, hey, Amanda, we're going to give you some money? Or did you have to ask for it? What was that process like? They gave you, I was anticipating, I, from my knowledge, I was like, um, med schools don't give scholarships. They don't give you anything, like unless you're the top creme of the crop and they really, really want you there. Um, I don't know much about that, but when I got my financial aid letters, it just listed out a scholarship and that that's, I just got it. And I, I'm, I'm assuming it's due to my previous financial aid situation. Um, just like growing up where I was and being part of the financial aid program. I think I ended up earning it that way, not necessarily merit-based, but financial-based. Okay. Very cool. And are you happy with your selection now that you're in medical school and looking back on your journey? Oh, I'm very happy. We we do have a new curriculum. Um, we are the second year experiencing it. So we're still, there's, you know, kinks that were worked out that might be changed and we're experiencing them. So sometimes there's some bumps in the road, but it's amazing. I love going to school every day. I actually get more sleep now than in undergrad. I don't know, just every pre-med listening out there, there's hope. <laughs> but I'm, I've am i met amazing people. I have great professors. I love the hospital. I love all the experience it gives me. Um, I love being in Chicago near friends and family. I think when people are looking at schools, really consider about 
the support system, you're going to be able to get where you go. And if you are deciding between staying at home or not, what you feel comfortable with, because some people can get lonely and that burnout is very apparent and we are made aware of it. So if you could go back and tell your earlier self, your maybe sophomore, junior year, Amanda self, some words of encouragement or some advice, what would you tell her? I would say to listen to this podcast sooner, <laughs> but just to, I think it's hard to say because I'm happy where I ended up and I don't know if I would have ended up where I was if I had made different decisions, but just be confident in the process and that everything that's happening, it might feel like the end of the world, but it's, I'm growing from it and to take it step by step and not be so bogged down by like feelings of failure, because I definitely was worried that I wasn't going to make it and it did end up working out. All right. So there you have it again. That was Amanda talking about her journey to medical school. Amazing story with seven acceptances and trying to figure out how to best choose where to go. And as she said, money talk. So getting a scholarship definitely helps you as you're going through that process. One thing to keep in mind is, and I, we didn't really talk about this, but if you get a scholarship from one school and you have multiple acceptances, it's fair game to go to another school and say, hey, like she was talking about University of Illinois, going to them and saying, hey, like I really want to come to University of Illinois. Now, obviously, in her case, it, that wasn't true. But in your case, if there's another school out there that you really want to go to and they haven't offered you money, but another school has, you can say, hey. Right, University of Illinois, Rush has given me some money. I really want to come to Illinois. Is there any opportunities for financial assistance from you guys? And let them do their research and look at their numbers and see if they want to offer you some money. So it's definitely something you can do. So hopefully this was helpful for you. Amanda is, like many of you, a first-generation college student, a mom who's an immigrant, and just struggling through the journey, trying to figure it all out on her own. And she was successful. She didn't do well the first time, a poor MCAT score or, or an average MCAT score and a failed application cycle. And she asked the right questions and got the right information and fixed her application and ended up getting a lot of acceptances. So this will be your story too. Hopefully with the knowledge that you're learning from listening to this, you'll skip the first failed application cycle and you'll jump right to the seven acceptances. I hope this was helpful for you. I look forward to helping you in our next episode here on The Pre-Mid Years. And I want to give a special shout out to The Phones for stopping their band practice. They live above Amanda. And she said, hey, can you guys stop practicing so I can record a podcast? So thank you to The Phones. Go check them out, maybe on Spotify or somewhere. <laughs>